I know we're a little out of practice. We haven't been physically. Some of us haven't been to, together in a long time. So let's try that again. Good morning. <laughs> okay, I got like a sea of emptiness right here in front of me. And, uh, and this just feels weird to speak to an empty room. I'm going to get the Johansson and Weeb cohort. You guys got to come sit right here. Yeah, your whole cohort right here in the middle. And then uh, just for my sake, that'll make, that'll make me feel uh, much better. It is, uh, it is good to be back together with some of you, uh, and I don't mean that uh, it's not good to be back together with you, I just mean that uh, we're not all here in person, and so I just want to remind us that we are an online and on-site uh, church, that we have uh, many of our faith family that are still with us, uh, even if we're not physically uh, together. This is a uh, this is actually a good, uh, good chance for me to highlight our uh, tech and media guys. Um, uh, no, I, I was going to do it anyways, but uh, we, uh, for, we, ha- we haven't met in six months, I think, I think together. And, uh, and I've been speaking to a camera, so if I feel a little like out of, just out of rhythm here, I've, I've been speaking with nobody in the room for quite, for quite some time. And, and I speak to a camera, and I don't know if you know this, but I can't see you. Uh, on the other side of the camera, even though you can see me, and so it's a it's a weird uh, it's a weird setup. Uh, and uh, it, like years ago, when the Raptors were making a playoff run, so I, I got two Ra- Raptors references this morning, just to keep just to make you feel at home. Uh, I there was a camera set up outside of the stadium where fans were like waving hello at that camera, and during that time, uh, I convinced that Silas I convinced Silas that the people on the other side of the camera could see the, see him. And, uh, and then this is what he did. I don't know if we have the, do we have that slide, Rob? There we go. He went up. He's like, awesome, they can see me. And so uh, he started interacting with the TV. Uh, but little did he know that he couldn't see him. So, uh, so this has been a, a different kind of season. Even though I would uh, love to have been together with everybody over the last six months, I am uh, thrilled uh, that uh, God has sustained us together as a family through these months. And I also uh, just want to highlight uh, a few of our key volunteers and, uh, and Chris, who is, Chris King has been looking after weekend experiences and Rob and Murray. I know we've, we've had lots of volunteers that have put a lot of effort in, uh, but uh, those three guys in particular, uh, every single week uh, they've been in recording, producing, editing, uh, and making sure that we have online content uh, for the weekend. So you can give them a hand. I just got this message from one uh, from somebody at uh, that used to come to Sunrise. They used to be on staff, but they moved away at this time. And uh, and they they just texted me during worship. They said, "I can't believe I'm taking part in kickoff and PJs with coffee in hand. No stress, no stacks of ice ice cream or pizza to deal with. I've experienced it in fields, schools, community centers, various theaters, and now on a computer screen. Weird times, but God is there through it all. Amen." Uh, so I'm, I'm thankful to, to our tech guys that have been able to do that and make that happen. And uh, we're talking about reset. That's the theme of, of our kickoff here. And, uh, and so context, six months later, six months ago, Mexico was about to happen. You remember that? How many of you guys are planning on going to Mexico? A few of you guys, okay. Uh, and then uh, on a Wednesday night, I remember discussing uh, with some leaders and saying, should we go, should we not go? And by that Sunday, by that weekend, and we were supposed to leave on that Friday, uh, it's like the entire world that shut down. We didn't have services. 
and, uh, and everything was canceled, and we haven't seen many of you in six, six months. And a lot has happened in six months, and we haven't had Sunday services uh, in person. And uh, if you remember, even at the beginning, remember when like, everybody was, in, was uh, hoarding toilet paper and you couldn't find any anywhere? Uh, we had enough toilet paper to last us months. But uh, anyways, it's, it's, been, it's been a crazy time. And during that time, you know, toilet paper was the least of our worries. We've had, uh, you know, there's been political tension, economic tension, uh, religious, racial, and it, it has been a different kind of world uh, these last six months. And I don't want to sound negative, but I just want to say that I am sick of all the negativity. There's so much negativity out there. Hey, can I get an amen to that? Uh, it's, we live in a very negative world right now, and there was so much that we wish that we could change. Uh, and I feel hungry and thirsty for some, some positivity, for some good news instead of bad news. And if I could go and hit a reset button on 2020, I would just love to hit reset. Anybody else? Like just, just let's hit a reset button on 20, 2020. And, uh, and I don't know if you guys remember these, uh, the old uh, Nintendo consoles, old school, first-gen Nintendo. Anybody first-gen Nintendo had one uh, online you can put up your hand too. And, uh, and these things were a different, different kind of machine. I mean, that reset button on that, you just, you just flick it and the whole game restarts, right? So you might be, and if you, hit the, if you hit the machine, you don't even hit the reset button, you just kind of kick it and it turns off. You know, you'd be on like Mario World, World 7, Water World, and, uh, and you know, you have a bratty brother that would just come and hit that thing and you'd have to start again. It's not like the video game systems today where it's like auto-saving. There was no autosave. You couldn't go back and just start where you were. You had to go all the way back to the beginning of the game. It was a significant commitment to turn on one of those things. I mean, you had to commit to the whole game. If you're going to beat it, it's, you got to do it in one setting. Uh, and so those things would reset uh, super easy. And I feel uh, like I would love to give 2020 a kick and reset it. And we may not be able to reset what's going on in our world. We may have very little control. Thank you. Um, we may have very little control over what's happening outside of ourselves, but we have a whole lot of control on what is happening inside of ourselves. And so this series, this kickoff series, I'm inviting us as a church to do a little bit of a reset. Uh, if we could hit a reset, we can't control what's out there, but we can control uh, ourselves and our minds and our focus and our perspectives. And I, and I believe the follower of Jesus is actually called to renew their minds and be able to hit reset and think and look a look at the world in a different kind of way. And, uh, and so I think we're called to be optimistic people. And optimism, uh, let's give a definition of optimism. It's not a denial of reality. It's not blind faith. It's not naive or wishful thinking. There's an internet definition that says uh, confidence about the future or a successful outcome. So that, that was a definition online. But let's, let's add a bit of a biblical definition to optimism, how about the unwavering expectation that our loving God is working in every situation for our good? In fact, the Apostle Paul said something similar to that. He said, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to uh, his purpose for them. That is a good biblical definition of optimism, I think. It holds potential for the positive at all times. It means even in negative situations that, that, our, situation, that, our, that our world and whatever's happening, that, 
there, there's a pregnancy of hope. That, that Every moment is pregnant with hope uh, when we know that God is in the center of it all, that God is Lord of lords, he's King of kings, and that Jesus is still on the throne, despite what's happening in the world. We believe that as followers of Jesus. And so I want you to pause, and I want you to think about right now, think about what you think about. Think about what you think about. Just, just take a minute and say, uh, when I think about my thoughts, do they tend to be negative, pessimistic, critical, anxious, worrisome? Think about what you think about. Or do they tend to be optimistic, hopeful, faith-filled? Do they, they tend to move towards God and His goodness and in His power? Think about what you think about. There's a verse in Proverbs, and in the King James Version, it, it defines, it, it says it this way. It says, as a person thinks in their heart, so they become. As a person thinks in their heart, so they, they become. Your life is generally moving in the direction of your thoughts. What you think about tends to direct where you go with your life. So if you think the world is always in trouble and you can't trust anyone and you I always hate my circumstances and nothing's ever right, uh, you're not going to get to the end of that day and say, man, that was a really, really great day. I love that day. Uh, it's not going to happen because your thoughts are dictating uh, your experience. The quality of your life will never exceed the quality of your thoughts. The quality of your life will never exceed the quality of your thoughts. What do you think about that? And I think this is one of the, the bigger problems with pessimism. The quality of your life will never exceed the quality of your thoughts. And pessimism is a chronic negative attitude. Pessimists tend to view negative events both as personal and permanent. And so if you tend towards pessimistic thoughts, often you're self-critical. Right? Like, like it's my fault. I can never do anything right. And, uh, you know, I'm in the way. I'm incapable. I'm unworthy. Um, and so pessimists tend to think personally, but they also think... Um, they think in terms of permanence, that this is always going to be this way. This is never going to change. This is, you know, it's always these extreme uh, types of, of thoughts and postures. And before long, we start to live in this chronic state of just being a victim, right? Poor me, poor world. And, and it starts to reflect on how we experience the world when we posture ourselves like that over a period of time. And I believe the follower of Jesus is actually called to posture uh, themselves in optimism because it comes from faith and hope. And love. And here's what the pessimist needs to recognize, that being content, being satisfied, being blessed, being optimistic, optimistic isn't a state of affairs. It's actually a state of mind. You can actually choose to live in that place regardless of what is happening around you. And that's why faith is important. What controls your mind controls your life. Your thoughts typically drift towards faith in God, or do they not? And I'll be honest, I, I feel like I have to fight for optimism and faith and hope uh, all the time. And uh, even as a, you know, as a pastor, you know, who, who should be faith-filled, and, and I'll just be honest, and these, these last six months have been hard. It, I've, I've been, I feel like, you know, I've felt weight, and, you know, you, you, you question yourself, you doubt yourself, you know, um, you know, what do you, what do you, how do you inspire people? How do you, how do you preach in a time like this? And, and, and I have felt this being sucked into a place of negativity, and it, it, it's a choice to fight that. 
What controls your mind controls your heart. If you find yourself driving towards the negative, what you want to do is feed your faith and starve negativity. Why? Because what you feed tends to grow and what you starve tends to die. Right? What you feed tends to grow, what you starve tends to die. You know, I remember being uh, in high school and I loved Dr. Pepper uh, at the time. I don't, I don't drink Dr. Pepper now, but when I was a, when I was a teenager, I love Dr. Pepper and dill pickle chips. I get an amen for that? No? Nobody? Sai, I know you got me. One of my kids loves Dr. Pepper. Okay. Uh, so what I did is I collected Dr. Pepper bottles in my basement, and my friend Clark, who also loved Dr. Pepper and dill pickle chips, collected dill pickle boxes, you know, the old, old Dutch boxes. So he had old Dutch boxes kind of all over his basement, and I had Dr. Pepper bottles all over my basement. I don't know why my mom let me do this, but she did. And, uh, but here's what I found out. I should have rinsed those Dr. Pepper bottles before I stored them. And a couple of hundred bottles later, my mom came down one day and realized that our basement had turned into an ant colony. No word of a lie. You know, I, I created an environment for this ant colony to thrive. And I, I think sometimes when we allow ourselves to to sit in negativity, to sit in pessimism, to sit in frustration, and we don't fight for optimism, hope, and faith, and love. We actually create an environment. We create an environment uh, for the bad news, for negativity to actually take root and make home in our lives. And we'll find ourselves in that chronic place all the time. You know, getting rid of those ants was no easy task. Um, and so I believe that we have a choice to make, uh, to reset. And I'm not talking about the ostrich strategy. Um, where we just stick our head in the ground and we pretend like uh, there's nothing wrong going on in the world. Um, you know, I, that's not what I'm talking about. It doesn't mean to block out reality. It, doesn't, it just means that I'm intentional about the places that I'm going to allow my head to stay. I'm intentional about the places I'm going to allow my head to stay. If you want to starve negativity, maybe that just means, you know, don't watch the news 24 hours a day. Maybe don't camp out on your Facebook or Instagram feeds uh, or whatever social feed you're, you're paying attention to because uh, if you pay attention to your heart and your mind as you just scroll after scroll and comment after comment, it starts to create an environment in your soul and your mind, does it not? Now, I ask you to think about what you think about. What about how you spend your time? How, how much time are you spending watching news, watching comments, going back and forth on social media versus how much time we're spending in the Word of God? If we're filled with faith and optimism because of the good news of Jesus, how much time do we actually spend allowing our mind to rest and stay there? How much time do we spend uh, worshiping God and reorienting our lives around uh, Him and His Lordship and His kingship in our lives and reminding ourselves that He's in control and worthy, worthy of our lives and our love? I can tell you, it's so easy to give all of my time uh, to negativity. And so we have to starve those negative places. And it's not saying don't watch the news or don't pay attention to those things, but pay attention to where you allow your head to stay for a period of time and pay attention to those patterns in your life. If we take an inventory of our thought life, I think we'd realize that we're creating an environment for negativity and pessimism to thrive. So as a church, as people of God, what does it mean for us to create an environment for hope and faith and love to thrive? And some would say, Hey, I'm just a realist. That's what pessimists say. <laughs> pessimists say, I'm a realist. Uh, you know, 
the reality is that reality uh, that, that you live in, you actually choose more than you think. What you are experiencing in reality is actually be, often because of our choices. Regardless of what's happening on around us, the choices that we are making. Everyone thinks they're a realist. The question is, what is forming your reality? And so let's go back to that Romans 8 passage. It says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So is Paul doing the ostrich thing? Like, Paul, are you just, are you just like pie in the sky? You're not actually paying attention to reality? Like, oh, God's in control. It's all going to work out. Is, is he just putting his head in the sand? Uh, I would say that he's not. Because what, you know what is before Romans 8? Let's talk about context. Before Romans 8? Romans 7. I, I was concerned that being at a math class for six months was going to, you guys are good. You know, right before 8 is 7. And so if you go to Romans 7, it's interesting uh, what, what we see. And I love Romans 7. We get to see, much of how, we, we get to see a, a lot of how much of a mess Paul is. Paul's a huge mess. You know, he goes off in Romans 7 and he's like, you know, I can't do anything right. I try to, I try to do the things I should and I can't do them and I, I don't do the things that I that I should do, and like he's just like I'm. I'm a complete mess. I'm. I'm helpless, and I just love reading. I, I don't know. There's something about. Maybe you're like this too. I just love sometimes hearing how miserable other people are. It just makes me feel better. Oh, you guys are like he's a terrible person. That was a. <laughs> let me let me give you an example. Uh, and so many of you know the Raptors were in the playoffs. Maybe uh, they lost Game Seven of the second round. I said there was two Raptors references today, right? So this is the second one. They lost game seven in the second round, and I was angry, frustrated, um, and then you know what? Kawhi Leonard, who was on the Raptors last year, helped them win the championship, and left and went to the LA Clippers this year, lost game seven of the second round. And in that moment, I was like, huh, okay. I actually feel so much better. Uh, if we can't win, at least Kawhi can't win. And then I, was, I felt like I was good. I was good. Uh, so... I feel like Romans 7 is like one of those moments where it's like, okay, Paul, this apostle, he's a mess. And if Paul's a mess, then it's probably okay that I'm a mess sometimes. So that's the context that brings us into Romans 8. And then in Romans 8, it's like Paul is trying to talk himself out of his Romans 7 mindset. He's trying to hit the reset button. He's like, I'm a mess. I can't do anything right. I'm, inca- I'm incapable. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. And, and then he gets to Romans 8. And he's hitting the reset button. He's setting himself straight. And after he talks about how much of a failure he is, he talks about how faithful Christ is. He goes from talking about how much of a failure is in in Romans 7 to talking about how faithful Jesus is in Romans chapter 8. And then in verse 18, he says, Therefore now, in light of how faithful Jesus is, I consider that our present sufferings are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed. Therefore, because of Jesus' faithfulness, despite how, how much of a mess my world is in or how much of a mess I feel like I am, I consider our present sufferings are nothing compared to the glory that will be revealed. You might be thinking, well, what does Paul know? Like, you know, Paul didn't live in 2020. Like, he didn't live where we're living right now. Well, here's a bit of concept for Paul's suffering. How did he suffer? Well, he was in prison multiple times. Uh, he was beaten five times with 40 lashes, and 40 lashes was was kind of the number that they assumed like brought somebody to the point of death. He was beaten like that five times. He, three times he was beaten by rods. He was stoned. 
and not for entertainment purposes. It's a different kind of stone. Let's go back 2,000 years. Okay, so he was, stones were thrown at him. That's what that means. He was shipwrecked and spent the whole night out at sea, hanging on for dear life, whatever he could hold on to. He was betrayed. He was beaten. He was left for dead. You know, this is the context that Paul lived and wrote Romans 8 in. And he said, therefore, I consider that a present sufferings are nothing compared to the glory that is going to be revealed. This guy hit the reset button. He understand a perspective, regardless of what was going around, around on or in the world around him, there was a greater reality that was actually driving him and giving him perspective. Where are you hurting right now? What have you lost? Where are you experiencing hardship, job loss, battling diseases like cancer? Relational challenges in marriage, kids, friends, mental health challenges, depression, anxiety. What was true for Paul is true for us that our present sufferings, whatever that might be for you, is nothing compared to the glory that is to come. The struggle I'm in today is actually producing strength for tomorrow. And I can actually choose to starve the negativity despite what might be going on in my life and might be going around me and choose to to anchor myself in that faith and that hope and live an optimistic life. Yes, dealing with reality, but still not allowing that to shake me to my core. And then in 826, after Paul says that, it says, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is really good news, and especially good news for maybe some of you that need, uh, that you feel helpless in these times. You know, sometimes we think, you know, God... We have this idea that God helps those who help themselves. And let me tell you, it never says that in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. God does not help those who help themselves. What the Bible teaches us is that God helps those who need help. God helps those who need help. That's the good news. That God helps those who need help. And maybe you need help this morning. Maybe you're on site. Maybe you're online, uh, wherever you are. Uh, God actually promises that he will help those who need help when we reach out to him. So if you're hurting, God is your comfort. If you're confused, he is your guide. If you're discouraged, he is your hope. If you're anxious, he's your peace. If you're weak, he's your strength. Paul recognized where the source of his faith, his hope, his love, his peace, his strength came from. It didn't come from himself. It didn't come from the world around him. It came from Jesus and what Jesus uh, had accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection. And so we come back to Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes everything to those who work together for the good of those who love him. And everything includes anything, no matter what. And some people say that the key to happiness is just to lower your expectations. Then you won't be crushed when bad things happen. Just hope less, have less faith, be less optimistic. You know, try less. You know, it reminds me of Homer Simpson who said the, the first step to failure is trying. So don't try. Um, but some people live that way. It's like if I cannot hope, if I cannot anticipate, if I cannot have faith, then I won't be disappointed. Did you know that that is more aligned with Buddhism than Christianity? I just like to ask, who are we following? Are we following Buddha or are we following Jesus? Because a very simplistic understanding of Buddhism is actually to get rid of your own desires, your dreams, your hopes. And if you could actually rid yourself of those things and the expectations, then you could finally find peace. So want nothing, feel nothing. remove, And then if you do that, you can actually remove pain from your life. 
because pain happens when your expectations aren't met. But the problem is if you remove hope and faith, then I think we're also removing life itself. And Jesus actually encouraged us to have more faith, more hope. And yes, he doesn't, he doesn't go away from the fact that that might produce suffering, that might produce disappointment, that might produce expectations that don't get met. But the reality is that we believe in something beyond what we see. And that's what faith is. Don't lower your expectations. As a follower of Jesus, I think we're called to raise our expectations. Now, people are talking about things going back to normal. I have faith that maybe things will be better than normal, that we'll be more loving than normal, that maybe our families will be stronger than they normally were. Maybe the church will be more faithful. Like maybe through this whole thing, the church actually has been forced to make the main thing the main thing, that we'll love each other more. It'll be more clear on the mission and what God has called us to can we actually look forward with a little bit of faith and hope and trust that God is going to do something despite what might be happening in the world around us? 25 years ago, uh, actually, SunWest was planned, this is our 25th anniversary. Uh, we were, we were going to plan on doing like a big shindig, and then with COVID everything, we didn't even know what that looked like. So, ta-da, you're at the 25th anniversary of SunWest? Uh, I know, it feels anticlimactic. We got like a room with a third of the people in it. And I was like, this is 25 years? Uh, you know, 25 years ago when SunWest was, was planted, the driving force behind that church plant was, uh, was a verse in, in Ephesians that said that God can do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or imagine. 25 years later, let's make sure that we still operate with that type of optimism, hope, and faith. I believe that God... Is just beginning. Jesus is not afraid of your hopes, your desires, your dreams, and the Bible actually tells us that God puts eternity in our hearts. And I know that when you've experienced enough hard, hardship and bad news, it's easy to stop hoping, and actually it feels, it, it, it feels better. You know, just to make yourself a little cold, a little less hopeful, but I believe that we need to reset and we need to pay attention to the news feed of our thoughts. And are we focusing on the good news or the bad news? The last thing I'm just going to touch base on this morning is in, in Romans 8.28. It's actually an incredibly hard verse to translate from the original language to English, from Greek to English. And, uh, and the scholar Tim Geddert actually suggests that it should be translated this way. He says, and we know that God is working for good in all situations together with those who love God those who are called according to God's purpose. And I think what this translation, when we actually look at, uh, at this idea that's in there in, in verse 28, it's not just that God is working out all things together for good, it's that God is actually looking for co-workers to work with him to bring about good. God is looking for faith-filled people, for hopeful people, for good news people to work together with him because we have a reason for our hope. We have a reason for our faith. So are you believing the good news or the bad news? What's the news feed that you are actually allowing your head to stay in? Not only is God working all things for good, he's working all things together with those who love God. And so we can be hopeful and we can also have purpose because God has a plan for us. And then we get here to the end of Romans 8. So this is the, this is the good news news feed. In a world of bad news, cynicism and skepticism and hate and scapegoating, our God is looking for co-workers. So let's, 
tune into the good news. And this is what the good news says. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or there's a pandemic or we're persecuted or the economy is collapsing or, or my family isn't getting along or everybody I love disagrees with me or we're hungry, we're destitute or we're in danger or we're threatened to death? No, it doesn't mean that. Paul says, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. I would encourage you, take Romans 8, the end of Romans 8, and let that be your news feed. Read it every day this week. Let that permeate your thoughts. That God is up to something. That he is actually in control. That no matter what negativity is going on in the world around us, he is actually powerful enough to work things together for good. And that he's actually wanting to work together for good with us. But he can't do that if we're pessimistic, if we're just bad news people. Let's actually believe the good news. And maybe you're someone who has never even responded to that good news before. There's nothing. There's not a disease. There's not a sickness. There's not a pandemic. There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. Remember, what consumes my mind actually controls my life. And the Bible tells us that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, of a sound mind that those who respond to the good news actually position themselves to be people of hope and faith in a world full of bad news. And here's the good news, that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, was God with flesh on. That God didn't want us to be isolated. And I love reading Romans 8 in a time of social distancing. I just think, you know, God doesn't social distance. There's nothing that can distance, him, uh, that distance you from him. He doesn't social distance. And 2,000 years ago, God actually came to earth in the form of Jesus, and he died a criminal's death on the cross. The Bible tells us that he, he paid for our sins. He, he actually took the place of our sins. He took our sins upon himself as he died on the cross because the punishment of sin is death, and so God himself died. But death couldn't hold him, and he was resurrected three days later. And because of that resurrection hope, those who actually choose to put their faith in Jesus, share in that resurrection hope that no matter what happens on this side of death, that we actually don't need to be pessimists. We don't need to be people of negativity. We don't need to be people of bad news because we know how everything ends. And we know that God is in control working all things together for the good of those who love him. And if you have never actually taken the, the step of putting your faith in Jesus, you can do that at any time. And, I, and, and I'm going to pray here to close, and I would invite you, uh, if you want to take that step, you can pray with me and begin that journey with Jesus and be a person of hope and faith and good news in a world of bad news. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the good news. We thank you that even though we are unfaithful, you're faithful. Lord, we thank you that even though our world feels out of, out of control, that you are in control. And so we just come before you, God, and we say that you know, we make mistakes, that we sin, that we're a mess, that we're like Paul, that we do things we shouldn't, that we don't do things we should. We look at the world around and we, we see that things aren't as it should be either. And so we just come to the end of 
our limits and we say uh, that you are God and that we are not. Jesus, we thank you for your grace, your forgiveness, that you invite us into your family. And Jesus, we just say yes to you. Yes to being our king, to being our Lord, to being our savior. Lord, may we live our life in light of the good news and be people of hope, of faith, of optimism, because we serve a God who has conquered death and everything in between. And Lord, we thank you that there's nothing in this life that could ever set, separate us from your love. And so we live our lives in gratitude of that reality, of that good news. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Thanks for coming on site for those who are here and online, uh, those that are tuning in online. Uh, just a couple of things as we uh, wrap up here. Uh, if you, uh, normally we often have prayer at the end of services on Sunday mornings, but if you would like to receive uh, prayer for whatever reason, we actually uh, would invite you at this time uh, until we figure things out, what that's going to look like going forward. Uh, we have an email account, prayer at sunwestchurch.com. You can email us there. We would love to pray for you. We're even setting up Zoom accounts or in-person prayer meetings for those that would want. Uh, and so that is uh, available to you, prayer at sunwestchurch.com. Uh, in terms of services in future weeks, so if you can pre-register, that, uh, that is obviously best. Um, we, we hit capacity quicker than we did this week. Uh, Pastor Colton mentioned uh, that you know, we're in conversation about maybe looking at going to two services just so we can make sure we can keep social distancing and still provide an opportunity for those to be here in person for those that want. So, so please stay tuned for that. Uh, if you register and then decide that you're not going to come, please cancel your registration. Like, uh, for example, this week we had quite a number of people on a waiting list. Uh, and if we actually know that certain people aren't coming, we can uh, invite those who are on the waiting list uh, to come. Uh, and last thing, tacos and fried chicken. That's good news. That's good news right there. So <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, we look forward to hanging out with those who are here in person. Uh, if you're even at home watching the feed and you want tacos and fried chicken, just drive down. Uh, we'll be here for a while, and we'll see you out in the parking lot. Thank you.